It's This Week in Bourbon, the best in bourbon news or your money back. And here's your headlines for January 28th, 2022. Mississippi and Pennsylvania lawmakers are pushing towards privatization. Maker's Mark has earned its B Corporation certification. And Chattanooga Whiskey has announced its release of their Islay Scotch Cask Finish. But first, here's a quick word from our partners. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Welcome back, everybody. Another edition of This Week in Bourbon. And Ryan and I, we have had a big week so far. This is this is the cool thing I, get, I like to talk about is since this is kind of timely, it's literally this week in bourbon, we can talk about everything we've been doing this week. It's a big recording week. We've been talking to a lot of cool people this week. We had an opportunity to sit down and talk with Brett Elliott this week at the Louisville RV and Boat Show. And now we're here tonight talking about this week in bourbon. And this has probably been the most bourbon news that we've had so far in 2022. So, um, oh God, I know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready. I've been talking, in. talking bourbon like for four days straight, 10 hours a day. All right, let's go. Got to. Yeah, I know. I can do got, it. I can do this. Got, we still got more to go. We still got more to go, but let's go ahead and we'll, we'll start powering through it. Let's just dive right in. So it was the big headline. It probably actually came out last week, but that's okay. We, we, we saved it for this week because I figured this is a good week to talk about it. Why not? So Kentucky bourbon is expanding its status as the premier signature industry, which is now pouring $9 billion into the bluegrass economy every year and generating more than 22,500 jobs with $1.23 billion in payroll. And this was announced last week with Governor Andy Bashir and the legislative leaders. And this is all done through a research study that was funded through the Kentucky Distillers Association. So distilling also contributes more than $285 million in local and state tax revenue and is in the middle of a massive $5.2 billion capital investment spree 
that is creating more paying jobs and opportunities for supply chain, sorry, supply, supply chain partners, farmers, communities, and tourism more than ever before. And again, this comes from the annual report, sorry, biannual report that is conducted and noted by economist Dr. Paul Coombs and commissioned by the Kentucky Distillers Trade Association. This is the sixth report since 2009 that charts the growth and challenges facing the bourbon and distilled spirits industry. The study notes that there are now more than 2,200 distilleries in the U.S. due to the booming craft movement, and that has slashed Kentucky's share of distilleries nationwide from what used to be 24% down to 6%, and the jobs from 43% down to 30%. Ten states now have more licensed distillery operations than Kentucky, but there is an average salary of around $101,000, and this is the first time that the amount has exceeded over $100,000. All-time record is now 10.3 million barrels of bourbon aging in Kentucky. This is the first time it's been over 10 million, and Kentucky has the fifth highest bourbon and spirits tax rate in the country. And the state's distillery is now, or sorry, the state's distillers are paying more than anywhere else in federal alcohol tax at around $1.8 billion, and that's more than any other state. And barrel aging tax is the only one, actually, they said they were the only, only state ever that barrels are taxed as they age compared to pretty much anywhere else in the world right now. So there's the, the good and the bad side of it right there. Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise, those numbers. I mean, we see it every day. But uh, yeah, it's, I think it's basically a report to say, okay, uh, Governor Andy Bashir and uh, all you state senators, like quit taxing us. You're, you're uh, I mean, not quit taxing us, but come on. Like, look how much Ease we've up. done for this state. Yeah. You know, look how much economic impact jobs all good things and yet you know as we keep expanding and we just keep paying you more taxes let's get some tax breaks let's get some more incentives for distilleries to expand and the current ones to you know reap the benefits of being here in kentucky instead of having the burden of being here in kentucky um so let's just embrace this industry and do thank it for all it's done for these past you know hundreds of years and now especially the past five to six years how much economic impact has done to the state so come on governor government <laughs> give us a break yeah no that's true but it's like it's like why give you a break when you're not really nobody's well i mean that's nobody's, fine nobody's of a, of, of, you know it's not a big fuss yet and and i think that's why it's like y'all y'all keep producing that bourbon we'll keep taking that tax money so why why should we change yeah well, you're, not, mean, like, hell, you're not you're not gonna got, go, you're not going to go anywhere. So what are you, you going to do? Well, that, that's totally not true. I mean, you got Sazerac, who's building a huge distillery in Tennessee. They got a bottling facility going up in Indiana. True. And I guarantee that's a reason why. And, uh, you know, no telling how, you know, what these people, people are going to get around taxes. And so that's just, you know, that's why states like Tennessee and Texas and Florida are just in Indiana are thriving. And our state is broke because we're one of the highest tax states in it just incentivizes companies to go other places. So, uh, yeah, I just think, uh, you know, yes, it's great that Kentucky bourbon is the, you know, that's the Napa of bourbon, but, you know, let's, as a state, embrace it. And because if you try to provide incentives, you're going to keep more business here. You're going to attract more business here, and that's going to create more jobs, more tax revenue through other avenues of taxes versus through spending and uh, job creation and whatnot, not just, uh, you know, a burden tax on the distilleries that just because they're here, they have to pay. So 
I don't know. You, that's, have you uh, ever thought about running? That's probably simple-minded. Uh, no. Some somebody on the other side will tell me why I'm wrong, and I'd love to hear their argument. And uh, but uh, it just seems to me like, yeah, let's let's embrace it. Well, like I said, do you want to run for office? I think you have a, you have an opportunity to change, Ryan. No, I mean Eric Gregory's doing a good enough job. He can. Uh, I think we should. He should be elected, not me. So, <laughs> we'll but keep, I am we'll for keep pushing forwards to them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. That's that's good. I, I I totally agree. It is it is cool to see those numbers. It keeps getting bigger and bigger. But yeah, this was a, a great report that comes out to kind of say, hey, add a boy, way to go. But you know, there's some things that you could help us out at the end of the day too. So it'd be nice to to see those things happen. Yep. Totally. Yep. So let's go ahead and push on. And this is still kind of sitting that sort of like that law realm, if you will. So Mississippi lawmakers are trying to get the state out of alcohol distribution business, and that's happening with House Bill 512. Pine Belt News reported if Representative Trey Lamars, he's the represent, or a Republican from Senatobia, he says if this bill is passed, the state would be out of the business by January 1st of 21, or sorry, 2023, and it would lower the excise tax from 27.5% to 18%. The passage of the bill would also mean that the Department of Revenue would collect taxes on the gross proceeds of wholesalers rather than on individual bottles. Lamar said that the ABC warehouse has struggled to managing its uptick in sales during the COVID-19, during the pandemic, should I say. And he added that the Senate leadership is tired of receiving phone calls about the warehouse's poor service. (laughs) Furthermore, yeah, I know, isn't that funny? (laughs) Like, like we're tired of of the government. Building these calls. I mean, could you imagine the government just has to receive phone calls of bad service? Well, I'm sure they just ignore it. They're like, (laughs) so what? (laughs) Back to take a number. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do about it? Right. That's that's kind of what it goes down to. Uh, As was mentioned, furthermore, Pennsylvania lawmakers are now pushing to privatize liquor sales as well. For decades, Republicans have tried to get Pennsylvania out of the booze business, but have been unsuccessful. However, a new approach that would let voters decide may have the GOP popping champagne corks in the next few years. State Representative Natalie Mihalik wants to privatize Pennsylvania through a constitutional amendment that would silence the governor and empower Pennsylvanians. Democratic Senator Jim Brewster is opposed to liquor privatization because alcohol sales brought in $813 million last year from Pennsylvania and employed thousands of workers. Pennsylvania sees a record of alcohol sales of $2.9 billion last year, and mostly unflavored vodka was the crowd favorite. Mihalik is certain that privatization will pass thanks to a recent push to let voters pass amendments and polls back her up as she will introduce her bill next week. So this will be interesting to kind of see what's going to happen through different states and and moving away sort of this, uh, you know, state led sort of mandated way. And who knows? And we'll see more things move to a Kentucky like three tier system. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously from my last rant that uh, there's uh, n- no secret here that I'm kind of... <laughs> Let the people the, eat cake. Well, it's... The the government doesn't be, need to be in the alcohol business. I mean, you know, it's like... who? How many people complain about the state-controlled states or the state-ran liquor states and how it's a pain to be there, how they don't want to be there, how it's like, you know, it. no liquor company wants to do business. They just have to because it's... They want to... But they that population's there, and so it's like, I, I guarantee if you open it up, the more money will flow into the market because, I don't know, free markets, to me, just always win. But I'm coming from a, there's no secret here, I'm a conservative mindset, and government has its place, but I just don't think uh, retail sales and liquor boards is it. 
Yeah, no, we, 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 for anybody that is listening, me and Ryan are usually on, on opposing sides of, of parties and that's sure. That's what makes us uh, usually in a, a pretty good uh, like-minded set that we, we can usually meet somewhere in the middle. But I, I, I agree when I look at this sort of stuff is that at the end of the day, the government's still going to get their money no matter what, you're not going to get away from it. Exactly. So, so, so why go through all this effort to basically say, we're going to have everybody hate us for what we've been doing forever. But the other way you look at it, there's, there's no perfect system. You know, there's, there's some good things that control states get right. But for the most part, they are probably missing out on, on a lot of opportunities too, because when you look at the way that you can privatize things, you start putting the data and you start putting the analytics into the hands of people that know what they're doing and they can say, okay, we can see that sales are doing well in this corner of the market. Let's open up another store over here and we can boost sales by X amount. We can talk to this distributor. We can bring in these products. We can cater to these kinds of people. Whereas, you know, a government's not going to that sort of effort. Like it's, it's just, yeah. an, it's just a, a byproduct of what they've been handed over, you know, <laughs> since prohibition basically yeah and i can't tell tell me how many small brands just will not enter these control states because they either a do some torp of like minimum you know minimum purchase value have to have these huge quantities or they pay you know have these crazy payment terms where it's 120 days or this or that and it's like you know that's not good for the little guys either they can't compete with the big boys in these states because they don't have massive amount of product to send and they can't wait that long to get payment received and go through all the bureaucracy it's like let's just the people are smart the free market's smart you know like people figure it out when you give them the opportunity they will figure it out when it gets stuck in bureaucracy and all these different channels it slows down progress so uh, that's just my philosophy and I'm sure there's an argument out there that'll tell me otherwise and I'd love to hear it and uh, and I'm open to it. If you want to hear it, please don't send it to their main ep- uh, email. Make sure you send it to Ryan at BourbonPursuit.com. Yeah. Well, send and- it to the, <laughs> no, send it to that government agency that's fielding the calls about the poor service uh, that they're, so you, you take it up with them. Isn't that hilarious that in a news article they said, listen, we're just tired of hearing about the bad service yeah. from the warehouse. <laughs> We're, we're sorry, but we're not going to do anything about it. Next. <laughs> that makes me, it just makes me chuckle a little bit. Well, we got one more that, that kind of sits in the political spectrum here. And so this is kind of talking back around the tariffs sort of thing. So as a little bit of a history lesson, back in 2018, U.S. President Donald Trump imposed a 25% tariff on steel and a 10% off on aluminum from the European Union. And the European Union implemented a 25% tariff on American whiskey and other goods in retaliation. And this whole thing went on for a while. However, on October 31st of last year, the U.S. and the European Union agreed to suspend these tariffs from the start of 2022. However, they did remain in place for the United Kingdom. But earlier this week, trade representatives from the U.S. and the U.K. started the joint discussions to address the conflicts over this particular uh, steel and aluminum industry. So the talks will address the U.S. levies that are imposed and the other retaliatory uh, tariffs on both the imports and exports into each regarding country. But according to the UK government, both nations are committed to working towards an expeditious outcome that ensures the viability of steel and aluminum in both markets. And since tariffs come into force, American whiskey exports to the UK, which is the category's fourth biggest market, plummeted by 53%, which is around $150 million to $71 million between 2018 and 2020. So the trade bodies, including Discus, the Bourbon Alliance, which we are also a part of, if you ever go check out the uh, thebourbonalliance.com, Wine and Spirit Trade Association, U.S. Chambers of Commerce, and Toast 
and Not Tariffs Coalition called for an end to the tariff of American whiskey last month against the UK. So we'd like to be able to see that happen. So keep, everybody just keep pushing along. And I think we'll, we'll we'll start seeing these kind of break down. I think, Ryan, you you kind of talked about last year, we had talked about this, this whole tariff thing for, I don't know, probably a solid 18 months. And you were very much kind of reading the tea leaves and kind of seeing where this is going. You said, oh, don't worry, this will be gone pretty soon. And that actually happened. Yeah, and it should have a long time ago. It's stupid policy, just political, like just once again, you know, Trump's a conservative or whatever, but that was just bad policy, like just trying to like, I don't know, free free markets are the best way and the tariffs are just like short term. Like it's just a political thing. It's not good for anyone. So I'm I'm glad to see this go and it's great for both, I think, countries moving forward. Yeah, so we'll probably follow up back in a, in a few uh, weeks we, when we figure. Can we move on from like political, like we can't. Money situation. So like, I feel like I'm just I, I need to just not give my opinion, and I'm gonna get <laughs> going get hate mail from. Oh uh, no, we'll, we'll 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 quit waving our flags for a minute and start talking about something else here. So this is actually a short one, and this is probably just one that most people don't know about yet. And I think if you're in the industry, you might know about it, but it's something that if you're a consumer, you probably don't. And that's that the U.S. beer and bourbon industry is facing another supply chain issue right now, and this is actually dealing with barley. So Lester Jones, he's the chief economist for the National Beer Wholesalers Association, said that these disruptions are going to impact America's barley farmers for the next few years. And... That, that's literally like all the all the tagline was. But for I've just kind of heard this through the grapevine. Don't put it as gospel or anything like that. But I've heard there has been one, at least one, maybe two distilleries in Kentucky that have had to shut down for a few days only because they have had no malted barley to distill for. Yeah, I've heard that, too. I, I, I can't get any validation from anyone whether that's true or not, but uh, I, I have heard that circling around in in Bardstown at a few places, but um, I can't get I can't confirm nor deny uh, that that's taking place. But I have heard the rumors in about the barley shortage and how it's impacting some folks. I, that's one thing. It's like you can't just grow it <laughs> overnight. <laughs> it's like so. Hopefully, that's not true, and we can find some barley somewhere. It's one of those things that I was talking to somebody again, not to name names, and kind of keep the the in a people innocent innocent here is that i was talking to somebody and uh, apparently there's only like two places or maybe three in kentucky just everybody buys their grains from the same sort of central location and they were all just tapped out you just couldn't get any malted barley or any barley whatsoever so that has been a a, a big strain on what it's actually meant to a few producers and it, when i say shut down they've had to shut down just production for a few days, which I'm sure they probably enjoy a little bit of vacation here and there. But for anybody that's in the industry, when you shut down uh, a, a distillery that produces anywhere from, you know, we'll say 700 to 1300 barrels a day, that that means a lot of money down the line. And that's just going to be one more sort of thing that we'll have to hit at some point, just some little bump in the road. I cannot wait till the term supply chain just like goes disappears. Away. <laughs> like, yeah, supply chain issue just disappears. But that's, 
it is it's it's not the it's just our times right now i know that's what it, more of the uh by the way let's go ahead and give a plug right now if you are listening to this we are also coming out with a new podcast here starting next week it's launching next wednesday on the february 2nd it's called behind the pursuit and you get to get an inside look into what it is to actually uh, what Ryan and I have gone through and actually building pursuit spirits and you got to get an inside look into all that. But I don't know where I was going with it, but there was, there's part of it. I was just kind of going to say is that I was like, yeah. that was a weird segue into yeah, that. It really <laughs> was. Well, I was going to, I was going to say like these, these are the things like inside the industry you don't really no, know right. about, but yeah. I was going to say, by the way, we're also coming out with a new podcast. Now you should go and you should listen to it. Go, you can search it for it right now on, on iTunes and, and, Spotify, go ahead and subscribe, but it'll be launching next Wednesday. So make sure you go and check that out. Yeah. Hopefully it gives people an understanding of how much goes into just getting a bottle to the shelf and how much one thing can delay and just push back everything or cost this much more money or this or that. Like it's all not just glitz and glam of master distiller going around giving talks, like talking about recipes. There's a it's a fun industry, but a lot goes into it, and it's yeah. a fun story to share. Yeah. So behind the pursuit, a story from bourbon to brand. Go ahead and check it out. But I remember now why I brought that up because I was thinking, oh, the whole supply chain. I was, you know, we going, we're going through all of our our stats and everything that we have to purchase for the next few years, and I was like, crap, we're already we're already figuring out what we have to purchase for 2023, and we're not even one month done into 2022 yet, and we have <laughs> yeah. to just start planning that out, and that's it's bonkers. We got four more days until <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> February first. Yeah. All right. Let's get with our next news article, and that's Maker's Mark has earned its B Corporation certification. And this is kind of interesting because I've only really known about C Corps and LLCs. So let's talk about what a B Corp is. And this making it this makes it the largest distiller in the world and the first in Kentucky's bourbon industry to achieve this distinction. And it recognizes companies that are working to build more inclusive and a sustainable economy. So Maker's Mark, they achieved this certification by meeting and exceeding rigorous benchmarks across five different categories of the B Impactment Assessment, which is community, customers, environment, governance, and workers. So key efforts recognized as part of the scoring and certification include the following. So Maker's Mark is a spirits industry leader in its environmental practices, implementing innovative programs on its property on Star Hill Farm to preserve the natural resources that go into making its whiskey and the better world around it. Initiatives include a distillery-wide zero landfill initiative, an on-site recycling program that is the first in Marion County, and it's also open to community members. They're also committed to the protection of the natural water sanctuary, beginning with their watershed at Star Hill Farm and the implementation of a solar array that powers the extensive Maker's Mark Warehouse Complex. The bourbon producer is renowned for its community and philanthropic efforts, which we probably already know about this, but they've invested millions of dollars in the hospitality industry, local Kentucky causes, and art since founding more than 65 years ago. And in recent years, they've also acted as principal partner to the Lee Initiative, which we've talked about plenty of times on the show. We've also reviewed their Lee bourbon bottles on our Whiskey Quickies. And even during the pandemic, they also did a lot of stuff. They've also uh, done a few different things. Uh, they were also regarded as one of the best employers in the region uh, of having some of the best benefits and compensation, including the highest wages in its community, plus opportunities for ex- advancement, job training, and tuition assistance for its employees, and six-month paid maternity leave. Makers Mark joins more than 4,000 different certified B corporations around the world, which includes places like Patagonia, Allbirds, Burton Snowboards, and a few others that also meet the highest verified standards of social and environmental performance, public transparency, and legal accountability. 
Good surprise. Bourbon Pursuit doesn't qualify for, you know, that B corporation. We really should try to <laughs> file. We'll, we'll see what we can do. We, I guess we need, we need a few more initiatives, I think, behind our belt. Yeah. No, I, kudos to makers. I mean, yeah, they got a, that bottle was, I think it's an even named community that's done a ton of, you know, they've raised just so much money for this area. It's incredible. And everybody I know that goes to work there loves it and they never want to, they never leave. Like, Nobody wants to leave it, so they just take care of their employees. It's a beautiful campus, beautiful place to visit, great place to work, and uh, congratulations to them. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think this is probably just a, a changing in the sign of the times of of the nature of the workplace and everything like that, too. Most people, I mean, hell, in pretty much any industry, what do you do to get anywhere? You you bounce around, you find a new job, you go for 5 to 15% somewhere else. But if you're able to hold on it for people and you got to find the right reasons to do it, I mean, heck, there's there's not a whole lot of places. Sometimes you get six months paid pater, uh, maternity leave. Um, you know, it, it's following. Yeah, I got like a week on my, but I'm the boss. <laughs> well, so. that's that's paternity leave. That's a little bit different, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, well, I, I know. Didn't say anything about paternity leave, which is a little bit. I mean, I work for a West Coast company, and we're completely different in regards of what you see. And uh, yeah, y'all get world. sabbaticals and stuff. We get we get mental health wellness breaks. Like that's <laughs> like that's what we get. The screen stresses me out. <laughs> oh my my! I need got, yoga for my carpal tunnel. I was about to say I've got carpal tunnel. I need a day off, man. I, oh, I man, know that's I'm, funny. I'm so weak when it comes to it, but <laughs> hey, I don't complain. It's 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 more time I get to spend talking about bourbon with folks like you all. So that's right. So somebody gets the benefit. I'm glad you get it. it. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about a, a another big one. We've we've talked about this on the podcast previously, and this talked about a man who traveled the world in pursuit of good whiskey. Yeah, what a good name right there. But he had made history after selling his personal collection in the largest whiskey collection to ever go to auction. And this was when they worked with market leader whiskey auctioneer, and it was over 9,000 bottles. And 23 auctions later, the curtain has finally closed with the final auction that happened on November 22nd, 2021, bringing the total to around over $4.5 million of bottles that went to auction. So this is an unprecedented on the secondary market. It was Pat's Whiskey Auction that took over 12 months to auction off over a series of specially curated monthly spotlight auctions and dedicated sales featuring over 5,000 different single scotch, or sorry, single scotch single malts, 1,000 blended whiskeys, 600 American whiskeys, and hundreds of often overlooked grain whiskeys and independent bottlings. Pat's whiskey collection was the most complete picture of whiskey that was ever brought to market. And the collector, he was only known as Pat. Yeah, you know, like this SNL thing, like that's Pat. <laughs> he brought his first whiskeys. He actually, he said they bought his first whiskeys based on the recommendation of a colleague. However, his determination to explore and taste every whiskey and area of it outstripped his ability to actually open bottles. <laughs> we know what that's like. He was uh, then, but then he just began to start acquiring and started building his collection. However, almost 20 years later, Pat's whiskey collection became the largest private collection ever to go to auction, and it was sold, again, against Whiskey Auctioneer, and uh, there was a collection like this, no other. It's been one of the biggest success stories and will likely never be replicated once again on the secondary market. So was that one buyer or multiple buyers? Uh, no, it was, mul so basically there was one guy, one guy brought in 9,000 of his bottles. Sure, I mean, right. Let's, let's think, like, I might have, I don't know, 
we'll say five five hundred. Maybe probably a little more than that. Yeah, I think I think I have five hundred. <laughs> maybe hundred. You got way more than me. But this dude brought nine thousand unicorns. Like that's oh, like yeah. let's be real. Like I might well, not unicorns. They're burn pursuit barrel picks and no, pursuit. Oh, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't think I don't think a bunch of burn pursuit barrel picks are going to pull in four point five million dollars though. But that's the but that's the maybe the, on the, NFTs. That's what we should work into next. But I mean, that's that's the, what it is. Like this guy brought in nine thousand bottles of you know basically unicorns. And when we talked about the the American whiskey side of things, we had an opportunity to be able to be a part of that at one point and promote it to a degree. They sent us a bunch of dusties that he had, some Van Winkle dusties and, and whatnot. So, I mean, they had, they had some really, really good whiskeys, but heck, I mean, that's probably a good turnaround on your investment to build it and say, hey, I'm going to flip this for $4.5 million. Like, it makes news now, and I think that's just going to be the thing that most people, I think, are going to have to come to grasp with the next few years is that uh, American whiskey is not just made for the whiskey drink anymore. It's made for the whiskey collector. Oh, I know. It makes me think twice about opening stuff, but I can't help it. It's just, I got to try it. <laughs> can't take it to the grave with me, but I guess I can trade in for four and a half million dollars. Yeah, just buy a backup. That's what it comes to. You just got to buy two of them every single time. Yep. All right. So let's, you love golf. I know uh, we got, we got probably a few, few golf people that listen to this. So Elijah Craig Bourbon announced a new partnership with PGA Tour professional golfer Max Homa for a multi-year sponsorship deal. So his success both on and off the course has been since he turned pro back in 2013. He will now be supporting Elijah Craig as the official bourbon of Max Homa. So this three-time PGA Tour winner will continue to elevate the golf experience for fans through his integrated marketing campaign, social media collaboration, public appearances, and Elijah Craig logo displayed right on the shirt of himself and his longtime friend caddy, Joe Grinier. So Elijah Craig will also debut its 19th hole campaign to extend the fan experience beyond the course this spring and summer. The 19th hole campaign will include premium media placements in golf publications, digital and social media, consumer contests, and Elijah Craig branded golf ball on packs and in-store displays rounding out the 360-degree program. I always thought they sponsored me. I had some Elijah Craig golf gear, you know, that I got from Heaven Hill. And that they got some nice gear, actually, some I got some awesome polos and uh, zipper zipped up jackets. So yeah, I'm excited to see the Heaven Hill swag out there on the PGA Tour. But they need people that can hit the ball straight consistently. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> but I'm gonna have fun. I'm a good yeah. scramble partner. <laughs> there you go. I always said if if I, I will be a good scramble partner if I can if like if five of my strokes in the day are the ones that we take. Like that's a good day for me. Honestly, yeah, I'm, if you need a member guest, I'm. I'm a 14 handicap, but I can birdie any hole. So it's like, I'm... <laughs> and and oddly enough, I don't know if it's because I I used to play. It's not like golden tee back in the day. I used to, used to play a, a good amount of not even before. It was like before Tiger Woods on PlayStation. I used to play a bunch of golf just on my old computer. It was like a I don't know 386 kind of desktop sort of thing. Yeah, I remember that game. Like, and I used to man, I tell you what, I used to sink putts that were 20, 30 feet long, and uh, to this day, I shit you not, I'm at least good for at least a, a beyond a 10-foot putt in a round of 18. At least one. <laughs> Just got to, we got to work, we got to capitalize on that, or we got to double that. <laughs> well, that's why my friends call me Kenny Big Putt Coleman. 
one time. Just, hopefully, <laughs> it's not the hopefully it's not on the first hole. If it's done <laughs> after that. <laughs> you set yourself there's, up for a downhill. Nothing to look forward to after this. <laughs> yep, that's. I'm like, we can we can stop after the first nine. Like, we don't need to go any more than this. My hand, yeah. my hands are starting to get clammy. They're starting to hurt. We don't need to do the second nine, right? <laughs> All right. So when we talk about the you know, how, how big bourbon is really getting right here. So Buffalo Trace has set a new visitation record, welcoming more, welcoming more than 340,000 people to its National Historic Landmark Distillery in 2021. This is a 134% increase that it welcomed back in 2020, but there is, of course, this thing called COVID-19 back then. However, it was a 16% increase to the number of visitors it welcomed back in 2019. So since 2010, but visitation of Buffalo Trees, Buffalo Trees, Buffalo Trace has increased by 556%. And this is after they completed a massive expansion of their visitor center back in 2020. And that tripled the size of its previous visitor center. And this allows for, you know, more ample space and comfort for guests to explore the gift shop, tasting in the new expansive rooms and stuff like that. Uh, but they're also continuing to grow even more. So they're making more adjustments uh, by being able to renovate its historical freehouse that's located in the visitor center parking lot into a full-blown welcome center. So over the past year, this space actually served as the place where you'd actually go in and get your, you know, your COVID-19 health check. And, you know, they put the temperature gun at your forehead. But now these renovations are anticipated to be completed by mid-February of 2022. And this will allow the distillery to check in visitors for all activities within the same space by early March. So onwards and upwards. Yeah, that renovation was nice. I was surprised that they didn't have like a hospitality center, like for cocktails, food, bar kind of you know, just to hang around. I was kind of hoping they would do that, but uh, maybe soon. Or just they spent all that money on that cabin on top of the hill. Like, real nice. <laughs> that is a nice cabin. Yeah, yeah. it was like somewhere when we get some food besides the uh, the pulled pork sandwich down there. That's right. Yeah. So this is a, a kind of kind of big news. I maybe I should have put this toward the top. It should probably should have been a headline. But Luxco has announced that Ian Sturzman has been named the first master distiller at Lawrenceburg, Indiana's. Ross and Squibb wow. Distillery. Hey, right. hey we love right. Ross and Squibb. They bring on the Squibbies here. So effective immediately, Sturzman will serve as the master distiller for all Ross and Squibb brands, including George Remus Bourbon and Rossville <laughs> Union Rye Whiskey, as well as any future brands that they plan on releasing under the Ross and Squibb name. I don't really have He's, to keep saying Ross and Squibb, but I just keep saying it no matter what. Yeah, just please do like Ross Squibb Reserve or something. I don't know. Just, <laughs> it's I love it. Squibby's it's antique. Really, we're going to make this successful for you all. <laughs> this Ross and Squibb transition. Uh, so if you want to know a little more about his pedigree, uh, back in 2014, he worked in a variety of roles in MGP under the distilling operations. He earned his master distiller certification back in 2019. But prior to joining MGP, he worked as a process engineer and shift manager for PH Gladfelter Company, which is a global manufacturer of engineered materials. He also graduated from 2010 from Ohio University with a Bachelor of Science degree in chemical engineering and with a minor in biological sciences. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty smart guy. So in his role, Sturzman will be responsible for guiding the product development process for new innovations and annual limited releases. And he's also hosting customers for barrel picks and distillery visits and building brand awareness for the distillery and its brands. But while he's also serving this new role, he will also continue to serve as a resource in support of operations at just basically MGP. So... Ross and Squibbies. Let's keep it going. I know. I'd love to see that business card. I'm the master still at Ross and Squibb. <laughs> Tell me more about That's Squibb. That's awesome. Congratulations to him. That's a big 
I mean, that's a big title. It's, it's a big jump. Especially like a, a young guy. Like 2010. Jeez. Yeah, actually, it was funny. I, I got the email and I replied back to the PR person. I said, so is he just going to be like a face of the brand or is he actually the lead distiller, the head of everything distilling at MGP? And he said, I'll check with you, but I think it's more of the latter. So it makes it sound like he's probably going to be uh, a big name there. That's awesome. Congratulations to him. Can't wait to meet him. They check out the Ross and Squibb Distillery. Yeah, like we're gonna we're gonna pick a barrel of Remus, but can we just go ahead and scratch that out and just put Squibb on it? Is that okay? I, I, I just that name doesn't get old. I'll look. <laughs> it sure doesn't. <laughs> so uh, we all know that next month is Black History Month, and in celebration of it, Old Forester is offering the public a one day of free admission to Louisville's Roots One Hundred and One African American Museum. So the public may visit the museum free of charge on February third. Additionally, Roots 101 and Kentucky's original black bourbon enthusiasts, or Kobe, which we've had Jamar on the show before, they have chosen a single barrel of bourbon that will also be sold at Old Forester. And proceeds from the bourbon will benefit the museum and its mission to promote an understanding of appreciation of African-Americans' achievements, contributions, and experiences. The pick is going to be a barrel strength. It says barrel strength proof. It's barrel strength. And it's the first time that Roots 101 and Kobe have jointly selected their own barrel of Old Forester. Roots and Old Forest are our neighbors right there on Louisville Historic Row, so it's going to be really easy to see if you happen to be in the area there on February 3rd. Where's the museum again? Uh, it, literally. So it's, it's right next to Old Forester? Right next to Old Forester. Oddly oh, enough. that's cool. No, no. It's I want like, to check that out. I've been, I've been right there because you've got that. You've got, you've got Doc's Bourbon Room. You've got a few different things right there, you so there's, there's plenty to the check out. The Trading there. Company? Yes. Merle's across the street. But yeah, I know. I want to check that out. That sounds like a cool museum. You can kill a whole afternoon just in that that block right there. I know. I wish George's was back open. That was a good bar there in because they had the Jackie Zakhan cocktail menu and it was good. Have they not back? Oh, they not open back up? Like still? I, I think pandemic. I think they've stuff? opened tours and gift shop. But I don't think they've opened George's yet. You think it's a pandemic thing? You think it's a staffing thing? I think this it's is, staffing. this is all. Yeah, this is all. This is all speculation, by the way. No, I, I, probably <laughs> staffing. Like, like no. I had reservations at Michter's last Saturday to get drinks after dinner at 8.30. And I'd reserved it like early in the week because it's hard to get reservations. And then I got a text like from Resi like two days before it said, due to staffing issues, we will no longer be open on Saturday. And so I think uh, a lot of distilleries, you know, even Bardstown Bourbon, Willett, they can't do dinner service now anymore because they just can't have the staff to do it. They just can only find people to do lunch. So think a lot of people are having issues with that all right so if you're in the area you're looking for a job you need that job you need that dollar dollar squirrel y'all go ahead start figuring out how to make a sazerac in a old-fashioned you'll get a job no time yep if you're Please do it. this yeah i'll come so let's talk about some uh, some alabama whiskey real quick so Kanuka Brands broke ground on their new distillery called Kanuka Ridge Distillery in Troy, Alabama. And this distillery will produce Clyde Mays Alabama whiskey, bourbon, and rye. The distillery will be built on 76 acres and was designed by Luckett and Farley of Louisville, Kentucky. It's initially starting with a 24-inch column still, and it will be in operation with room for additional stills as well. The current plan includes a rickhouse with a 10,000 barrel capacity, a gift shop, restaurant, and tasting room, and it's expected to be completed in the spring of 2023, but production will begin immediately, and the first product produced from this facility will not be released, but it's projected until 2027. So, second hey, time. We'll see you then. 
yeah, <laughs> put it down and we'll, uh, we'll see in a few years. Until then, keep sourcing and <laughs> keep drinking it, I guess. Yeah, where is Troy? I'm trying to think. On yeah, I don't maybe. know. I'm not a, I don't have an atlas with me, an atlas or a map. I mean, I could guess I could pull up Google Maps, but I guess I'm just lazy to figure it out. Yeah, that's okay. But yeah. Congratulations to them. That's probably a big deal. Get it is. It is. I mean, your own distillery. It's better than my distillery. <laughs> better than both our distilleries because we, <laughs> yeah. we own none of it. But that's also, gosh, one of the things that, let's go ahead and plug it again. Behind the Pursuit, we talked about this as an episode of like what it would talk, what it would cost to actually start our own distillery. And, you know, Clyde Mays, they started for a while sourcing and selling product. And after a while, you have to figure out, do you continue down this path or what does it look like to start your own distillery? And we said, this is the, it's literally probably a $30 million decision. So that's, uh, that's one of the things that you can learn. So go subscribe to that other podcast we're starting, but let's talk about something else. Cause I saw an interesting post on Facebook and this is, this is like not even really like bourbon news. I just thought this was super interesting. So I saw this on a, on a Facebook group. It's somebody posted a picture of a wall of bourbon. It had about 30 or 40 bottles on it, but all of them had hand tags on it, and they all had someone's name on it. But the cat, and this is the caption read on this post. It said, my local barber lets you bring in bourbon, and they will store it for you, and you can drink it while you get your hair or beard cut. And this, I just did a little bit of digging, is at C.S. McCullough's, or yeah, I think it's C.S. McCullough's in Johnson City, Tennessee, where they describe themselves as a high-end men's barber shop and lounge. I don't know. I thought that was kind of kind of different, kind of cool. Didn't really expect it. Yeah, I'd, I'd be all for it. I mean, I wonder if that's legal, but if you can just bring in booze and sell them, but I'm sure it is. If I mean, it's just like storing your whiskey at your friend's place. You're just drinking it there, but it's probably you need something on site that says you can store. Shit, we probably, we probably just did them dirty, didn't we? Because most of these things that you get are either news articles or their press releases. This is literally just something I saw on Facebook, so hopefully I don't get them in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry in advance. Yeah. <laughs> that, on Kenny. that or you all are going to be booming with business real soon because people are just be walking in there, bringing in bottles of bourbon to get their, their hair trimmed and just want to... I do love shit. Johnson City. The East... That East Tennessee area is awesome. I love it. So, you know, I'll go to that barbershop and come to East Tennessee next time. Well, I mean, you got to tell, so everybody doesn't know, Ryan's wife is a, is a hairdresser and she does Ryan's hair all the time. So how are you going to break that news to her? <laughs> yeah, but she, I'm always last to get done. I have to like beg her, like, so when can I get one? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, oh, I'm tired. Put you, maybe tomorrow. It's like a... Like and I don't get and I don't get bourbon served. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> she she just goes. Why is your hair getting all gray? <laughs> yeah. Like, Can't so. we dye it? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't envy that part of you. That's funny though. All right. So our last story of the night. I thought this was just lighthearted, and but let's keep it short because I know we're running kind of heavy on time here. But this was talking about the heaviest drinkers in the annual in the animal kingdom are a lot smaller than you might think. Uh, Ryan, did you ever see this article? Like, think of, of the the animal that can actually hold its liquor the best? I don't know. Is it like the ant or something? Because it can carry like a thousand times its weight. The same well, with booze. You're thinking, you're thinking pretty tiny, but we need to think a little bit, this may be a little bit bigger for, for that. So we think about elephants, you know, they're massive relative to their weight. However, they lack a gene for alcohol metabolism. And humans actually rank pretty high thanks to our ancestors' propensity of actually picking fermented fruit off the ground. But to find the real champs, you have to think small, you have to think really small, you have to think 
of a hamster. So just a bottle of unsweetened Everclear on the cage, it, they find out that they love it. And this says Gwen Lupfer, she's a psychologist at the University of Alaska Anchorage who studied the alcohol consumption in hamsters. They regularly down 18 grams per kilogram of body weight a day. And that's the alcohol equivalent of a human drinking, I'm sorry, of a human drinking a liter and a half of 190 proof Everclear. So in the wild, hamsters hoard rye grass seeds and fruit in their burrows, and they eat this fermenting as it stores and becomes more and more alcoholic over the winter. In the lab, they're pretty happy with Everclear, and given the choice between water and alcohol, they actually ended up going for the booze, and they can drink a lot before getting drunk. So they did a study with dwarf <laughs> hamsters as well. So Sounds Herner's like a cruel study. Like, it's I like mean, a fraternity hazing pledges. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is it a study or is it just like we'll get these animals drunk yeah. and see what happens? But like, they, they, this, there's some, there's some. They are doctors after all, so you know, I guess they can put that of what <laughs> of hamsters. I don't know. I I guess I should have looked at it, but it is, it is a doctor. It's a psychologist. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to this. Yeah. No. No. Uh, part of Sorry. part of it. They they're looking at a study where they rated the animals' drunkenness on what they call a wobbling scale so they scored the hamsters from zero for no visible wall wobbling to four which is what they would just fall under their sides and just can't write themselves however the hamsters never averaged above a 0.5 on the wobbling scale even at the highest oral doses so when her and her team instead injected the ethanol directly into the hamsters abdomens then the hamsters didn't do so well they started wobbling and falling over at much much lower doses but when consumed orally, as the doctor explains, that alcohol goes straight from the gut into their liver, which starts breaking down the mind-altering toxin that is the ethanol. And hamsters' livers are so efficient at processing ethanol that very little ends up in their blood. So there you go. Uh, what, I mean, what was the hypothesis of this study? Like, what were they trying to prove? I don't even know why it's this week in bourbon. I just thought it was a really cool article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, gosh, could you imagine being one of those researchers... Hey, you get over there and see that hamster, see if it wobbles or not <laughs> and rate well, it one to five. <laughs> it was funny. You know, you know, it, I even, I even pulled it out of here because I was just like, okay, it's too much to read. But what they ended up doing is like part of this wobbling scale uh, and not just, it's not just like looking at them and seeing if they were wobbling, but they literally painted their feet and made them try to like walk in a line to figure out if they were trying Holy to, uh, to try and see how they would fall on the scale. And that's why you don't give the government any money because they <laughs> spend this this is what the funds go towards. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we have an amazing you, you can understand, story. Though. You can understand how much hamsters can drink. <laughs> humanity is better off for that. And now we can go to our first commercial break. So stick <laughs> with us. We'll back with some more bourbon news. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, 
Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. All right, everybody, we're back with some more burden release news. I promise no more hamster talk, even though I think that was kind of funny. I love I love good little news things like that where you probably wouldn't hear it or find out about it unless it just ended up popping on your news, you know, your Facebook feed or anything like that. But that's one of those things that it stumbled across my syndicate of bourbon and alcohol news. And I said, shit, this is funny. People should probably know about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I didn't come on Mark Brown's newsletter, so I'm glad uh, <laughs> you brought it to light. All right. So let's let's talk about some other bourbon release news here. So this is probably just for those that happen to be in the area, but Broad Branch in downtown Winston-Salem is going to be releasing Big Winston's Bourbon 5-Year Bottled and Bond Single Barrel. This limited release offering consists of a single barrel and will only be available for purchase inside the tasting room at the distillery and is their oldest bourbon that they have yet to release to date. It was filled with their pot still whiskey from their very first bourbon run. It's hand bottled at 100 proof, non-chill filtered, and carries a retail price of $60. There you go. That's awesome. Congratulations. First release. Congratulations. If you're in the area, let us know how it is. So this is a a big one. I I, I say big. I say big only because I have a feeling this brand is going to come out of nowhere and it's going to make a spike, and we're going to be like, what the heck? Where did this come from? So Ross and Squib? No, it's not Ross and Squib. It's no, no Squibbies. No Squibbies on this one. But it's Wolf Spirits. No, you might not know Wolf, and I might not know about it yet. But you might have seen this thing called Puncher's Chance. So I think mm, you're going to see yeah. this brand kind of start coming and emerging a little bit here. Uh, actually, because this brand, as and the, the press release said, that this was actually started who was the former chief marketing officer of Campari and his name's Umberto and apparently he has a very thick Italian accent. So, but he's really engulfed into American whiskey. And so this is how this brand is really coming to light here. So Puncher's Chance is announcing their first ever limited release offering and it's called the Distance Straight Tennessee Bourbon. And when I say distance, it's D12 Tance, as in like Eminem's old group D12 with T-A-N-C-E on it. If you if you even know who D12 is and you're like that school and old school of rap, you know, we're, we're doing pretty good right there. Um, so back to the whiskey. Aged for 12 years in traditional stone and wood rickhouses and finished in California Cabernet Sauvignon barrels, just 70 barrels of the distance sourced from I Jed... I, golly, I'm stumbling over here. I Jebby... <laughs> <laughs> IJW. I mean, I don't know. How did I mess that one up? IJW Whiskey Company in Louisville, Kentucky. It was born from mash bill of 84% corn, 8% malted barley, 8% rye. We know where it's coming from. It says a proprietary yeast strain, you know, somewhere in the hollow. But the brand name of Puncher's Chance itself is actually a boxing reference, and that denotes that almost anyone is possible of a knockout punch no matter what the odds are. 
and it's named after their latest age spirit of the distance is the Devil Entradar, meaning that both of the age of the liquid and 12 official rounds in a formal boxing match. There's only be 2,000 cases produced in the U.S. market. You can get in a few different states, and it's going to be 96 proof and has a $120 SRP. Hmm. Yeah, I, I remember reading that article about them, about their everyday offering, and it was like four to five year Kentucky products. So I was like curious to where, you know, they were sourcing from and whatnot. And I'm surprised to see this, a Tennessee product being offered on this, but um and, yeah. and it, this is this is also I think probably the only the one of the first times we might have talked about it on this podcast is that this IJW company whiskey in Louisville, um, you know this is actually a, a big outfit, but this was in the press release, so I don't feel bad talking about it. Like it's starting to get a little bit more name recognition out there. Yeah, there is some money, and there are a ton of barrels behind them, and they are super behind the scenes. Yeah, it's I'm interested to see as like you said, as it unfolds, what goes on with that brand, because I being in the industry, we understand how much loot's behind this brand or this IJW company. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they make their name in the whiskey world moving forward. For sure. For sure. So stay tuned for all that. You know, we also talked about that we've been doing a recording week this week, but even last week, we actually sat down with Jason Bronner, who's the, this, blender and everything like that behind buzzards roots whiskey so we got some buzzards roots news here so let's talk about that a little bit so they announced a limited release of their toasted french oak bourbon and this is in similar style to their innovation of their toasted barrel rye and so master blender jason bronner selected a five-year-old double-barreled indiana bourbon for finishing in a toasted barrel but there's a twist Instead of a traditional American oak, Buzzards Roost use a 24-month seasoned oak from Limousine region of France, or Limousin, I don't know how you would really say it, known for what it's said to be its ability to impart the intense color and sweetness and complexity to its whiskey. The mash bill for the tested oak is 74% corn, 21% rye, and 5% malted barley. And this goes into Buzzards Roost proprietary toasted French oak barrels. It's bottled at 105 proof and also has a suggested retail price of $85. Nice. Congrats, Jason. I wonder which 12 proprietary cask it went into. But I know. He won't tell. That's a, that's a little nugget for people to listen to later on about, you got to listen to our, our interview we did with him to kind of get a little bit more behind the scenes of their proprietary barreling process. You know, he didn't give you everything, but he, he spilled a few little things out there that we were kind of like, oh, okay, we're, we're picking it up. I see what you're doing. It's a little bit different. You're not just, you know, slapping your name on a bottle and putting it out there. You got a little little proprietary something going on there. Oh yeah. It's doing good. So let's talk about our friends down in Tennessee for a minute. So Chattanooga whiskey has announced their second release of its barrel finishing series Islay scotch cask finish. And this is exclusively going to be happening at their riverfront distillery. So this limited edition, this limited edition is a part of their barrel finishing series. And it celebrates the union of Chattanooga whiskey, signature, Tennessee high malt whiskey, with a variety of classic finishing casks. And this is coming from a combination of their unique bourbon mash bills, all containing over 25% of specialty malt, and each batch is made to complement the flavor characteristics of the finishing barrel. The Islay Scotch cask finish is crafted from a pair of complementary flavored mash bills, including a Scottish-style bourbon recipe containing peated malt, naked oat malt, ooh, 
racy here. Uh, and honey malt. Each batch is made from a blend of three finishing casks. It's funny. I should probably read these before I put them in. I just like copy paste and now we're getting to them. But <laughs> um, but these are all sourced from three different distilleries in the southernmost part of Scotland. And the region of Islay is renowned for its rich and earthy and peat-forward scotches, which are made from barley malt that is dried, smoked with peat moss and native to the island. It's aged over four years, including three months, and they're 250 liter Islay Scotch hogsheads and Islay Scotch finished is going to be bottled at 95 proof and available at a suggested retail price of $50 per bottle. Did we lose you at Pete there? <laughs> you know, normally you would, but we did, you know, we did a barrel pick with them recently and uh, their peated, uh, the peated bourbon was actually pretty good for okay. a peated. It's I mean, okay. yeah. it was <laughs> normally I get one sniff or taste of peat and I'm like, Cecil's out, but <laughs> I could actually drink that one. So. Yeah, if you like peated products, I'm sure this will be right up your alley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's if, and that's it's it's so different. I mean, we talk to people all the time, and you've got to you've got to have a, a knack of having a background in scotch or wanting that because most people, if you're in the bourbon world, you're you're a sweet corn person, so you've got to definitely have a a taste for something like this because most of us, I, I, I'm going to say most of us, me, I'm in the camp that I'm like, oh, okay, I'll try it, but. Odds are I'm going to be one of those people that have to hold my nose if I drink it. Yep, but not everybody's like you, Kenny. So. Exactly. All kinds of people make the world go around. And there's got to be somebody that likes it. They wouldn't Sorry. do it. Yep. So congratulations, Chattanooga. We love everything you do. And can't wait to get our barrel pick in. It'll be yep. fun. I'm excited. All right, so the last one. Uh, I feel bad. You know, it's this week in bourbon. We have to finish off talking about scotch because this is a, a big release. And I just figured, heck, we got to talk about it because it's a, it's a monumental mark for this particular brand. So the Glendronic unveiled a limited release of its first ever 50 year old single malt. So this is the Highland Distillery's oldest single malt scotch whiskey to date. It was distilled back in 1971. And this Glendronic aged 50 years is aged in Pedro Zinemenes and Oloroso sherry casts from the Spanish bodegas of Urez and Andalusia. It was selected by master blender Rachel Berry, who you might have listened to on the podcast previously. And these casts were married for a final maturation in single Pedro Zimenez casks. Only 198 bottles of this expression will ship worldwide. And each hand-numbered bottle of the Glendronic aged 50 years comes in a leather case accompanied by an embossed leather booklet detailing the distilling history, tasting notes, and production. And it's being bottled at 43.8% ABV and has a retail price. Let's let's play a little game of prices right. What do you think it is? Retail price of? Ooh, $20,000. Damn, you're pretty good. $25,000. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, exactly. So $25,000 per bottle. I can't remember if Glenn was like, top of the hill or bottom of the hill uh the glens loved, the, yeah rachel was a fascinating interview she's very smart and i learned a lot from her and i actually loved i, I really enjoyed the glendronic 12 year old um it was aged in cherry cask i think um it was more fruity fruit forward not a peated type of scotch so it was a good gateway scotch if you're wanting to dabble um but I'd love to try a 50 years, so maybe Rachel will send us a sample. <laughs> I don't think they're sending us $25,000 bourbon or $25,000 whiskey, but we it'll, can ask. It'll, it'll be like that sample of last drop we got where it was literally like <laughs> the last drop. Two, two MLs. 
But if you do want to know more about Dr. Rachel Berry, I, I just pulled it up. It's episode 234. Go back and listen to that. It, she was a uh, such a great interview, great personality, and I think you'll you'll kind of get a, a knack for understanding how the Scotch world actually works because it's funny going into it. We were we were just the dumb bourbon guys coming in and talking about Scotch because we didn't have no idea what to do and. She told us not, all. She gave us the Scotch 101, and we're talking to somebody that's a, a legend in this world. Well, it's really not much different than every other show. <laughs> just two dumb guys <laughs> coming in, but we are especially dumb in this category. So. <laughs> that's very true. Very, very true. But that is going to wrap it up for this week in bourbon. We covered mm-hmm. a lot of ground tonight. Yep, I got all week. It's when it hadn't stopped. We got two more days. Yeah, I know. Gonna, well. What days is there? Fridays. This is gonna be on Friday, so we're gonna we're gonna be wrapping everything up. We'll be on the day that up. you're listening to this. So by the time you hear this, I will be not talking bourbon for three days <laughs> <laughs> to revamp for next week. Hopefully, take a little uh, take a little mental health break, Ryan. I'll let you go and take one of those. I'm like sweet corn, sweet corn, corn, barley, <laughs> this that. Yeah. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs>